0: I want to turn to the word tonight, and I'm going to be um, teaching a little bit tonight. And uh, my first little disclaimer is this teaching is not my own, in that, as I was uh, seeking the Lord and being led, I was. Reminded of a message preached many years ago in another church and has been used in a number of other churches. I think it first came from Elevation Church. And uh, I'm, what I'm taking is some of the, the content, particularly the insights into the Scripture that we're looking at tonight. There's nothing really original anymore, but I just wanted you to not think that I am brilliant. These are not my own ideas. Uh, but the Scripture is brilliant and the insights are true. And I think these principles will help us. And I'm going to be doing a teaching tonight called waiting room, waiting room. And as I say a waiting room, I wonder if you have a picture that comes into your head. As South Africans, I think we all know how to wait. And we all know what a waiting room is like, isn't it? I think one trip to Home Affairs or, protect, uh, or, or, uh, or uh, the, the Traffic Department, when you have to renew your license, I know I had to get a renewal on my license and I Missed the deadline somewhat, and it was January of this year, and I think it was around the 3rd or the 4th of January where the license office opens, that I found myself there, which I found was the worst time of the year, and I was told by the official there that it's the worst time of the year because many people lose their licenses in December by accident while they go on holiday. This is a real thing, at least according to the (laughs) Department of of Motor Vehicles. And many people actually get robbed in December as well, and their licenses are stolen. And so if you were to find yourself to try and renew your license, having to renew your license in the first day of January and it opens, you are going to wait, and you're going to wait long. Minimum four or five hours. And I found myself in that situation... Uh, this year. And one of my spiritual fruits that is still under development is patience. And, and, and it's, it's an ongoing process, but I'm, I'm not very good at waiting. So that's my disclaimer, yeah? I'm not being hypocritical. I'm being out there and saying this is not something I have down. When I find myself in a waiting room or in a process of waiting, I, I don't always behave very Christian as my first impulse. And then I remember that I work at a church and people might recognize me. And then I... I try and do what Jesus has asked me to do. But as I'm on this disciple's journey, I, I'm developing patience. But a waiting room as a concept is actually, in my opinion, a horrible thing because I know waiting at home, home affairs, I hate it. And waiting in the, in the, in, at, at the driving department, I hate it. Or when you're going to the doctor and you have to sit in a waiting room, there's something about when you walk into a waiting room that, that it's almost like something's in the air. It's a, it's a gloomy situation. It's very, it's, it's very often that no one is really happy, especially at the doctor's office. But as you know, you know, in the home affairs line, sometimes there's tension also going on. There's normally, you know, that one guy who's busy fighting with one of the officials and everyone's not looking, to, trying not to get involved, but other people are being frustrated and they're jumping in and the tensions are high. But, but the reason, as you think about this, is, is, is because a waiting room, no one ever goes to go wait, when you go into the doctor's office or getting your license renewed, you're going to go and see the doctor or you want to get your license done. And then on your journey for this very definitive purpose, you are kept up in this room of hell. It's this room right next to where you want to be. It's the exact place where you don't want to be. And what's more is you're stuck in a room full of other people who don't want to be there, who are all determined to be in another room. And so it's a doomy, gloomy place no one likes Really, to be in a waiting room. And that's contrasted with this other type of room, uh, which we would perhaps call a a workroom. So if you think that a waiting room is the place of frustration, it's the place where you don't want to be or the place that you have to stay while you're waiting to get into the place that you actually want to be. This could be contrasted with a a workroom, which is the sweet spot. It's the place where you actually want to be. I've never been to the Google headquarters, but I watched a movie where they portrayed what it was like to work at Google, and I thought, I've missed my calling. That place looks amazing. I don't know if it's true or not, but in the movie, they said that they've got a cafe, and it's free for all the employees. So while you're working there, you can just go and get any food that you want, but as they walk into the... As they're doing the tour and they walk into the workroom where the magic is happening, where the innovation is happening, where people are really getting getting it done to make Google happen. It's 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 electric. Everyone is excited, everyone's happy to be there, everyone's in their sweet spot, doing something of purpose, doing exactly what they want to do. I wonder if you've ever felt like you're in a sweet spot, particularly now at work, and if you like your job and, and you where you where you where that, that moment where Everything that you've trained for and all your passion comes together with a product or a delivery. Maybe if you speak, you know, a good message, or if you're selling, you know, you do the perfect sales pitch. Um, perhaps uh, um, if you are in, um, you know, another occupation, maybe like a mechanic or something more practical, maybe like a plumber, and you, you, you unclog the toilet, you know, that moment, you know, the breakthrough moment <laughs> where you're in your sweet spot, this is what I was made for. And, and there's something about a workroom or a place where, where someone is doing exactly what they want to be doing um, that is so different to a waiting room. No one wants to be in a waiting room, but, but in a workroom when, when the things are right and things are going well. You want to be there. If, uh, if you're around the church for a while and you have the opportunity to volunteer at a conference, it's wonderful working with volunteers. People that are actually volunteers that want to be there and make a, a conference happen. You often, I volunteered at a couple of conferences and you find yourself doing rather you know, menial work, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of meaning to it. Perhaps you, you pack packing out chairs or you just just making name tags. But, but, but when you walk into a conference workroom, you've got all these volunteers that are passionate about the conference, passionate about the Lord. And it's an amazing room to work, walk into. I sometimes work with students that are volunteering. I walk into the room and I just want to join in on what they're doing, whatever they're doing, because there's an excitement, there's a buzz. And so this is a workroom. It's very different to a waiting room. And the thing about waiting rooms is they are a part of our lives. We would much rather be in the destination. We'd much rather when we arrive, how nice would it be if you arrived at the doctor's office and every single time you could just walk right in? That would be so nice. Or, you know, if you get to the front of the queue or, you know, you arrive to do your your license or your passport and someone just says, come right in. That would be very nice. There's a way to do it, but it costs and it's unethical. So, so... But in general, you know, that will be a nice kind of um, feeling, but it's the reality of our life that as we go about doing what God has called us to do, as we go about trying to achieve our purpose and getting to the destination that is before us, we are going to be faced with waiting rooms. And the problem with waiting rooms is sometimes they really are God-ordained. Now, this is a difficult idea to land because the thought that God would want me to actually sit in a waiting room, it, it... it is a difficult one to stomach. Now, I'm, I'll go to a, a scripture in, in Acts uh, chapter 1. I won't spend long there. You don't even have to turn there. Just, I'll tell you it's there. Acts 1 verse 4, I'll read for you. Because I had to see this for myself, that, that God actually has waiting rooms. He says, uh, this is Jesus talking to, these, to his disciples in Acts 1 verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. This is after Jesus has given the great commission, they have a purpose, a place to go, and then he calls them aside and, likely over dinner, he says, Wait. In fact, go to the waiting room, which later we call the upper room, because I've got a plan, and this waiting, this place I want you to be, is actually part of the plan. You see, there are legitimate God ordained times when God puts us into a waiting room or where we're on a journey to a place and something happens and now we suddenly find ourselves in the place right before the place where we actually want to be, like the waiting room of a doctor's office. And of course, it comes with the same experiences that we've all had in a waiting room. Frustration, a little bit of doom and gloom, and I don't really need to convince you of that. I might have to convince you that God actually has waiting rooms, but I don't need to explain waiting rooms, do I? Because you've all been in waiting rooms. I know there's people here tonight that are are in waiting rooms. I wonder what waiting room you find yourself in. Perhaps you're in the job that is the stepping stone to the job that you actually want. And it really feels like a a waiting room. You don't really want to be there. The people around you don't want to be there, and it sucks. Or perhaps you're in a season of life. I know that there's many here that are in the waiting room to marriage, that you're single, and it sucks. It sucks. And you're just waiting to get into the doctor's office, aren't you? But you just got to wait. And this, it seems, you know, when you arrived, they said it will just be five minutes, and now it's turned into five hours. And you're wondering what's going on. In fact, you saw other people taking a ticket after you, and they got in before you. I don't know how it's working, you know. These are waiting rooms. I know that we are in it. Other phases of life, perhaps you're here and you've got young kids, or you're waiting to have kids, or uh, you're about to enter into a work, you haven't worked before, and you've been waiting for that first paycheck, but it just hasn't arrived yet. You're sitting on the shelf, and it feels like you're just, just on the other side is what you actually want, your purpose, your destiny. You might find yourself in a waiting room, and, and I don't need to convince you, it's not nice to be in a waiting room. And tonight, I'm going to spend some time in a scripture that I think will help us, and it's a little bit further on in Acts, and you can turn there if you have a Bible, Or if you're on your phone and uh, there's no scripture that's going to come up, it's too large a portion of scripture. I'm going to be just doing a bit of a commentary on this scripture, and so it'll be helpful if you can read it in front of you. There's not going to be something that is coming up, so if you can, look on your phone or in a Bible, that will help you. This is in Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to read a story here, and it's a story of Silas and Paul. And Paul is a main character in the Scripture, and Silas is a minor character. And of course, we're looking at some of these characters and how the Lord has used them. But I am picked this Scripture tonight because <clears throat> Paul and Silas find themselves in a waiting room. They're on their way somewhere, and uh, something happens, and then they're in the place they don't want to be, and they, they're kind of stuck. They've got to wait. And we can learn some lessons from Paul and Silas on how they behave when they're in the waiting room. And really our question tonight that we want to ask is is of of the Lord is, is Lord, if if you've ordained waiting rooms, and, and if the waiting room that I am in is quite possibly your idea or from you, it's very difficult to figure it out if it's from God or not, but if it's possible that God himself has put you in this waiting room, how would you have me as a disciple of Jesus behave? How would a disciple of Jesus behave while they're in a waiting room, and we can learn from Paul and Silas. So that's our question as we read the scripture, Lord. How should I behave while I'm while I'm waiting? And so I'm going to read this portion. We're in Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to start from verse 25. And I'm going to read for you now to verse 37. Some context is that Paul and Silas, a couple of verses earlier in Acts chapter 16, received a vision to go and preach in a different area that they were going. But this was a mandate, it was a clear purpose a place that they had to go, and they were on a mission, they were preaching, they were in a workroom in the sense that they had a sweet spot, they were doing exactly what God wanted them to do, all the miracles was accompanying them, and uh, things got so good that, you know, there was real change happening, and they were in a, a city, one of the big converts had just happened to Christianity, I think it was Lydia. And Paul and Silas were just walking down the road, and they met a lady who was possessed by a spirit that allowed her to tell the the future. So it was a fortune teller. And the person that uh, was sort of overseeing this lady was making a lot of money from this fortune telling. And if you read the account before, and I'm not going to read it now, you get the impression that... Paul kind of does something almost on the side where he gets frustrated with this person and he actually just turns to them and says, in the name of Jesus, get out. And the spirit leaves this woman, as well as, of course, the ability to tell the future, to be a fortune teller. And the person who is busy uh, looking after this woman becomes very upset because, of course, as the gospel is preached and as this unrighteous thing has changed, money is involved. And when money is involved and people start losing money because of the gospel, they get very upset And in this situation, the man who now, whose business was affected by the spreading of the gospel, he plotted against Paul and Silas, and so he went to the magistrate, and Paul and Silas were unjustly arrested. They were arrested for preaching the gospel. And uh, the arrest was, was a bit of a dodgy arrest. You read that they were taken in front of the magistrate, things weren't quite fair, and they were beaten, and then they were thrown into jail. And this is where we get to this scripture. So Paul and Silas, they're on a mission, but something upsets them, and they are thrown into the longest waiting room of all, which is prison. You have to wait until your sentence is over. And uh, if you can imagine the diversion, everything was going well. They went from a workroom to a waiting room in, in a moment, and beaten and bruised, chained up. Here is Paul and Silas, but they don't do what we would expect them to do. In verse 25, it says, about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. You have read an historical account of a miracle. Picture for a moment, this is quite amazing, the prisoners are worshiping well, well, well. sorry, Paul and Silas are worshiping, the prisoners are watching them, and there's an earthquake, and all the doors fling open, and the chains come loose. Verse 27, it says that the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. Such a shock in such a real moment that the jailer is in such despair, he sees all the prison doors open, and he thinks the only option here is suicide. Because tomorrow morning, they're going to come and see that all the prisoners have escaped, and I'm going to be executed for negligence. So he draws the sword. He's about to stab himself. Verse 26, uh, sorry, verse 28, Paul shouts, don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself, sorry. We are all here. These are words of hope right before a man commits suicide. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in. And fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Such an interesting question. This jailer must have heard the gospel before, and this was the the catalyst moment where he realizes that the God that Paul and Silas was preaching about was indeed the living God. And, And his response was, I'm convinced. What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. These were the wounds they'd received from the beating. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Miracle moment that affects an entire family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. You see, this miracle where it seemed that God was opening the gates so that Paul and Silas could come free turned on its head. The whole family comes to the Lord. Now we're at the next morning. We don't know why the magistrate wants to set them free, probably because They had put them there unjustly in the first place. But now a series of events have taken place that Paul and Silas are actually with the jailer at at his house, not in prison, but the prisoners are all still there. Paul and Silas is there. And then the magistrate's order comes and says, set the prisoners free. And so you can imagine this new Christian, the jailer, he goes to Paul and Silas and say, great news. You guys, even though you stayed here the whole night with the prison doors open, are now free. Almost like, leave quietly. <laughs> and then in verse 37, Paul, oh Paul, he's always uh, causing a bit of trouble. He says to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us all out. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a man, Paul. He says, no, 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 no. No, 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 they can come here and they can walk with us out of prison. We're not leaving quietly, okay? This is an amazing historical account of what really happened with Paul and Silas, but there was a lot going on here. And so I'm just gonna pick out three points that we can learn from Paul and Silas that will help us as we find ourselves in waiting rooms. Remember, waiting room is a, the place we don't want to be where we have to wait so we can get to the place where we actually want to be. And most often the waiting rooms we find ourselves in, they're actually out of our control. Very often God ordained that, that He puts us in the situation, whether we know it or not, but, but we're just stuck there. We find ourselves waiting, and very often longer than we planned. And so my first point, or the first thing that I think we can learn from Paul and Silas while we're in a waiting room, is that we need to resist the urge to complain and fill our situation with praise, We need to resist the urge to complain and fill our situation with praise. You see, Paul and Silas, they were in prison and they'd done nothing wrong, but they didn't stand on their rights. In fact, when we read about the story, I would have, I mean, if it was me, you know, let's say it was Cuan and Silas in the prison and this story was being told, it would have started with Cuan was moaning at the injustice of being imprisoned for the gospel, and every now and then sang a worship song, but that would have been the highlight, I know, if it was me. But, but Paul and Silas, they, they, they aren't talking about what went wrong. It says that they were praying and singing hymns. This is rather convicting for me. And Paul and Silas had been following the Lord for a while, and I think they, they understood something about waiting rooms. And I think they understood that God takes complaining very seriously. He does. There's actually an account in uh, Numbers 14 verse 27 in the Old Testament where the Israelites were complaining. You see, they were also in a bit of a waiting room. They were meant to be going to the promised land, and they uh, found that life wasn't working out exactly as they planned. It was uncomfortable. It was difficult. And so they were grumbling, and they were complaining. This wasn't mini complaining. This was major complaining. It was borderline mutiny towards Moses. And so they were really going at it. And in Numbers 14 verse 27, you can see how God feels about complaining. Spoiler alert, he doesn't like it. In fact, the complaining is so bad that it actually diverts the Israelites from their purpose. There's a sense in which you see that this complaining actually makes them wait longer. It's almost like the doctor comes out and he sees the patient complaining and he goes, okay, back of the queue, <laughs> you're next. There's a real situation in Scripture that, that the people's complaining while they were in the waiting room actually stopped them from going into the next season. And, and obviously in a more extreme case, completely destroyed some of their purpose, their ability to get out of the waiting room. And so I think uh, Paul and Silas probably understood this somewhat. And uh, I think as Christians, we sometimes maybe misunderstand these things or, or get too religious. You know, the Lord knows us as people, and uh, anyone here has complained. I know I have. And, uh, but I noticed that you're all still alive. Yeah, okay. You know, God hasn't struck you dead. In fact, I don't think God is afraid of our emotions. The Psalms is filled with complaints times when people cried out to the Lord, this isn't fair, where's the justice? I can't believe it. This is our gut reaction. You know, we find ourselves in a place we don't wanna be like a waiting room. It is quite normal and human to, to have an emotional reaction and sometimes even towards the Lord. I'm not so sure this is the complaining that is bad. It seems in the scripture that there's this idea around attitude. It's the orientation of our heart, it's often used very positively in Philippians 2. It says, if we have the attitude of Christ, that we will shine like stars, that it will be a testimony to others. That when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, but we have an attitude of hope or an attitude that somehow contrasts with complaining, that this can be an incredible testimony. Of the Lord working in our lives. And I, I so, if I think about it, I go, you know, must we, because it's difficult, because you feel like you are really in a difficult situation, so must I, must I fake it? You know, that's what I've sometimes felt like, and you know, I felt like, you know, my life is really difficult in this waiting room, but people are watching me, so I now must now pretend to be happy. I must pretend that I'm happy that I'm waiting for five or six hours. I don't think that it's a pretend, it's a pretend happiness. I think what, what what Paul and Silas had was an attitude in their heart. They understood something about waiting rooms, which we struggle to struggle to see. You see, they, they resisted the urge to complain and, and what they were doing when they were doing the the singing, the the the, the singing and the praying is I think this is just my, my thought because the scripture doesn't say so, but I'm imagining myself in the prison and I'm struggling, they did what was very in line with their emotions. They began to worship. They began to try and refocus on God because they were in a situation where it was very difficult to see God. And I know of many people that testify that that when they are in a dark place or where they're in a situation in their lives where there seems no hope, that as they focus on the Lord as they lift their eyes up to Jesus, that hope rises within them. I wonder tonight if you were worshiping, if you experienced something of a lifting or a lightness. And so Paul and Silas were doing this and we can learn from them. And perhaps a nice way of saying it would be that if you're in a waiting room right now and you, and you find yourself grumbling and complaining, perhaps if you see what Paul and Silas did, perhaps a better approach would be to refocus to instead of looking at the problem and the injustice in the situation, to focus on the Lord and what He is doing. This is what worship can can do. And it's not a fake thing. It's not putting on emotions or putting on a front. It's a difficult situation. But complaining and grumbling is a orientation of the heart where worship seems to be the better orientation. And of course, how other people see us in a situation does matter. I wonder in your situation, in your waiting rooms, how the other prisoners are viewing you. Maybe the prison that you're in at work, how do your colleagues uh, view your, you in prison? Are they also watching you worship and read Psalms? <laughs> I'm quite convicted on that. I'm not so sure I can answer a good answer there. Or You've got a very unfair boss, or maybe you're a student and you're surrounded by students that are, that are hateful towards you or treating you badly. If the other prisoners in your situation were watching you, what would they see? There is possibly also a psychological aspect here that I know that when I'm constantly complaining, it starts to be something heavy that is difficult to carry. And sometimes I need to just decide to stop complaining for my own psychological well-being. And there is something to it that really if all we do is complain and complain and complain, we are gonna make that waiting room very difficult. In my better days when I've had to take a trip to home affairs, I've pre-decided before I go that no matter how long it takes, no matter what happens, I'm not gonna complain. I've been successful once or twice, and sometimes I forget, but it's really helped as the attitude of my heart where my expectation has changed, and I go, as I go into this waiting room, I'm gonna decide to turn it into something else. And Paul and Silas must have had a perspective that as they went into prison, if they were able to worship and praise in a situation where many of us would have grumbled, they would have had a perspective, a God perspective on this situation. The second point that I want to draw out, or, or we could say that we want to learn from Paul and Silas, is that when we're in a waiting room, we want to preoccupy ourselves by fulfilling God's purpose instead of escaping our problem. We want to preoccupy ourselves by fulfilling God's purpose instead of escaping our problem. You see, Paul and Silas, they were not consumed but with escaping prison. In fact, when the doors flung open, they were so filled with God's purpose. They had their eyes so much on what God was doing that instead of running away, like most of us would have done, they saw the opportunity right in front of them, and in that case, an entire family came to the Lord. Their eyes were open to what God was doing. This is a difficult one for us because when we're in a waiting room, because it's frustrating, we can sometimes spend all our time wishing ourselves away, so preoccupied with getting out of the waiting room that we miss the opportunity in front of us. I think sometimes, as I've heard, uh, this is sometimes how we talk, but it could be the reality, uh, young parents wishing away the phases of their children's life. I can't wait until they'll sleep through the entire night, until they can sleep through the entire night, and I can't wait until they can feed themselves, until they can feed themselves, and I I can't wait until they can go to school and I can have some time, and so on and so forth, and, and missing every single phase by being so preoccupied with a future event or trying to get out of the difficult situation we're in. And the reality is that our lives is filled with waiting rooms, periods where we have a next thing coming But our attitude, what we want to learn from Paul and Silas, is that if we are so focused of every time we're in a situation we don't want to be in, if we're so focused on just trying to get out of that situation, we might miss God in that situation. And God doesn't want that with us. In fact, I believe God wants us to actually look for opportunities to turn our waiting rooms into working rooms. You see, there is a a perspective change that we can have while we're in a time of waiting. Uh, another place that I often find myself waiting is when my wife and I go shopping. And uh, this is not an activity I enjoy. There is no destination that I want. I'm just there. I, I'm, I, I would rather just shop online. But it's something that we do. And we found something that, that actually works. And, and, and uh, for, for quite a while, I, it used to be a huge frustration for me. We'd go out for an hour, it'd feel like eight hours. Until I had a bit of a perspective change, I thought, well, I'm going to be sitting there. So what happens when we go shopping is she goes and shops and I find, or she normally finds me a bench to sit on, or uh, if we go into maybe like a Mr. Price home or something, a couch if I'm lucky, and I will normally sit there for about half an hour or how long ever long it takes, and I will just sit there and she will go off shopping, and this really helped us in our relationship, But I, I started using that time, what I would start doing is either downloading podcasts or bringing things to read so that I would, could work in that time. It wouldn't, I wouldn't just sit there waiting, I would actually sit there working. So it was an opportunity to turn my waiting room into a working room. And you know, when you're working, the time passes quicker. And I could have been so preoccupied with this lost time and missed the opportunity to catch up on all my reading or do all the things that I want to do when I'm alone, sitting on a couch or something like that. And there's so many opportunities in our lives. One of the things that helped me with my home affair problems, a part of my work, I had to deal with visas with students. So I often found myself dealing with long queues and sitting in waiting rooms. And at that stage, I was still studying. And so I thought, if I'm going to do a four-hour trip, I'm going to bring my books with me, and I'm going to sit there, I'm going to study. I turned my waiting room into a working room. And so we want to almost take a mantra that if you find, our, find ourselves in a waiting room, we want to have the attitude of Paul and Silas that if we're going to have to wait, then we're going to get to work. And so Paul and Silas, they were in prison, felt like they could go nowhere, yet in their head, they just carried on doing God's mission. They didn't wait to go preach the gospel until after they got out of prison. They preached the gospel while they were in prison. And my final point is I'm wrapping up And this is perhaps the biggest perspective shift that we need as we deal with waiting rooms is that we need to realize that our detours are often God's destination. We need to realize that our detours are often God's destination. Paul and Silas, after they led the jailers to Christ, didn't leave the prison because Paul knew that there wasn't actually such a thing as a waiting room. If he ended up in prison, then perhaps, just perhaps that was where God wanted him to be in the first place, and he was more concerned with God's glory than his release, and that last part of the scripture where Paul is being so amazing, he's a real boss as he, as he, um, as he, as he, as he calls the people to account for their justice, if I was Paul, if I didn't have that perspective, I would have, after leading this jailer to the Lord, left quietly, But Paul, somewhere in this situation, realized that this wasn't actually a detour at all. This is exactly where God wanted him to be. And in fact, what he thought was a waiting room was God's working room. I know many people that live their entire lives in this waiting room mentality, and they miss what God has put right in front of them. You know, we will always have another phase, another thing ahead of us. But if we're in a position, a posture of waiting... We are, um, we are risking, missing the opportunity that God has for us. I think of um, opportunities that I've gotten. If we say like maybe perhaps even preaching here, preaching here tonight came from an, taking every opportunity to preach. So whether it was to one person or to five people, to ten people, whether it was a church in Pretoria or it was a church in Pofarer, over years, i have just taken opportunities to preach. And uh, maybe I could say the Lord has called me to preach, but if I had a picture in my head and I said, I'm now in a waiting period, I'm in the waiting room, and one day I'm going to go into the doctor's office, one day I'm going to get there, I'm going to be able to preach, I would have missed the opportunities to preach that were right in front of me and not realizing that this is how God works, that all those opportunities, it felt like a waiting room, but it was actually God's process. It was the workroom right in front of me. And so if we can realize this, we can transform the places that we're in, that as we find ourselves in a season of waiting, legitimate seasons of waiting that the Lord has us in, as we take these mindsets and, and perhaps even realize that this is exactly what God has for us, that this isn't a detour, that this is the destination. It will fundamentally change how we live as Christians in the waiting room. We need to stop waiting for what God is going to do tomorrow and open our eyes to what he wants to do with us today. And so I wonder if these people in your life or opportunities that are right in front of you that you are missing because you are in a waiting room mentality, Perhaps the Lord tonight just wants to shift your focus or open your eyes to see the opportunity that he is giving you. I believe there's some people here tonight that this word is for them, that God really wants you to shift your perspective, to stop living in the future, and to stop having a waiting mentality and to get to work. The Lord has something for you. And it doesn't have to be a horrible experience while well, you wait for the other things that you want. The Lord has something for you now. He wants to open your eyes to see what He has for you now. And so I'm going to pray for us. And this is a prayer, and it's just a simple prayer. It's a prayer of repentance, firstly, for if you find yourself in a place where you've been complaining. You know, I will pray this prayer as well because it's my gut reaction to say, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for complaining. I'm sorry for not being a Paul or a Silas and the effect that that has on those around me. But even on myself, if you feel like you've been grumbling or complaining, this prayer is for you. And uh, it's a commitment then from there to go, Lord, I want to turn my waiting rooms into a workroom. So if you want to pray that prayer, you can pray with me. You don't have to stand. Here we go. Lord, we want to open our eyes to you, Lord. Lord, forgive me for my whining. Forgive me for my complaining, Lord. I've hated being in a waiting room, but I am grateful, Lord, for the ministry that you have already given me. We have nothing to complain about, Lord. We thank you for the waiting room you have us in. Open our eyes, Lord, for what you want us to do now. Amen. The Lord has been working in your heart, or you feel stuck after this, there's going to be prayer teams here. You're welcome to come and pray with them. Um, But otherwise, bless you, just a picture is imagine that uh, we as a community were uh, little Pauls and Silases who were willing to turn our um, waiting rooms into work rooms, that we were a community that had not an attitude of complaining, but an attitude of opportunity, that we would see these difficult situations in our lives, these places that we don't want to be, not just as stepping stones, but as opportunities to do what God has called us to do. That would be a community that I would love to be a part of. Bless you. Hope you have a good week. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to connect out there, and there will be prayer here for anyone who needs prayer.